When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, if you walk into a grocery store at 11 o'clock at night, there's like a mountain of apples, a mountain of tomatoes. I really don't think that that's the future. I think it's more like there's enough. You may not be able to get every single thing that you want. That's Emily Broadlieb. She's the founder of the Harvard Law School Food Law and Policy Clinic. And she's considered one of the world's leading experts on food waste. The consumer expectation of having everything available on demand at all times is often what's leading to a lot of that waste on the back end. From the Wall Street Journal, this is The Future of Everything. I'm Caitlin Nicholas. Today, Emily Broadlieb gives us a roadmap to a less wasteful future, sharing why she spent so much of her life investigating food waste and how she thinks we should change course to get there. Lots of different fields have a role to play in this, but I think law in particular is a really interesting one that historically has been underexplored. That's coming up after the break. This episode is brought to you by Vanta. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging. Vanta's trust management platform helps you quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, and more. Plus, save time by completing security questionnaires with Vanta AI. Learn how by watching Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com slash WSJ. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash WSJ. Professor Emily Broadlieb, welcome to the Future of Everything. Thanks so much. To start with kind of the context of the problem, how big of a problem is food waste? In the U.S., the data show that we waste about 35% of the food that we produce. So that's a huge amount of food. More than a third of food that we produce and import to the U.S. ends up in the trash. And globally, it's about a third of the food supply around the whole globe. You know, if you go to the grocery store and you buy three bags of food and then you just take one out and throw it directly into the trash. And... From an environmental perspective, the inputs that we put to grow that food, like 70 to 80 percent of all water use in the U.S. goes for agriculture, and 20 percent goes to uh, water crops that we throw away. Wow. This is true not only for water, it's true for other resources we put into agriculture. But then the other issue is that when food itself is in the landfill, it's a huge emitter of methane, which is a really potent greenhouse gas. And there's actually been a lot of focus on food waste coming from the climate impact of that methane. Globally, about 10% of climate change greenhouse gases come from food waste. Are there certain types of food that are more at risk of being wasted? I would say there's better data that looks at like where along the supply chain food is wasted. Every day we're buying too much food. Everyone can think of a time that you bought some things you were going to cook this week, and then you got invited out for dinner, and then you worked late one night, and then you had leftovers from lunch and you throw away a massive quantity of food. So that's a big lever. 
sometimes it's just silly things like this tomato doesn't look perfect. And the farmer knows that if they harvest it and send it to their distributor and send it to the grocery store, it's going to get turned away. So a lot of food is, is wasted at the farm for really cosmetic reasons. Are there big culprits or factors that make it easier to waste food in that kind of chain that you're talking about? So I should say this is a global challenge. The U.S. is really one of the worst offenders, and it's for a couple reasons. I think one is that food it makes up a smaller percentage of our per capita income than food in any other country or at any other point in history. And some of that has been our agricultural policies in the U.S. We do a lot of things to make food affordable. And for businesses too, labor, cooling, all these other things cost more than the actual food itself. You know, another thing is just inertia. Everyone's just used to having food. It gets thrown away. It's just like a cost of doing business. Grocery stores have a set amount of food that they anticipate wasting every day, every week, and every month. And there's not a lot of outrage when we're doing it. And when I look at the future, what I really want to see is that any time we're wasting food on a large scale, there should be outrage. You know, it's really inefficient and has all of these externalized costs on the environment and on society. I mean, a lot of people go to the grocery store, they buy their food, like you said, and later if their bag of spinach or their yogurt or whatever is past its expiration date, they just throw it away, regardless of whether it actually looks or smells bad. And I mean, nobody wants food poisoning, but is there something wrong with this idea that the label is this kind of authority? Oh, yeah. So I think most people, when they pick up food, they think that that label is an indicator of safety and that after that date, they would get sick. But in fact, the federal government in the U.S. has chosen not to regulate. The problem with not having federal regulation with the update labels is first that the rules are different in all different states, which doesn't make any sense. There's no scientific reason for it. And it's also actually a drain on companies. Either they're like gambling on using the label that's the strictest and just using it in surrounding states, which I know happens sometimes, or they actually have to have different labels for different states, which is really inefficient. Then the other issue is that consumers, 90% of consumers believe that the date label on products is a recommendation related to safety. And more than a third of consumers believe that that is federally regulated. And I think there's like a really simple solution to this, which is that food should either have one of two labels. If it's a food that actually can increase in safety risk after the date, which is like a very, very small amount of the food supply, it should have like one date that is very clear that there's a safety risk. And for the food supply where the date is really just about like taste and freshness and actually has no link to safety, it should have a standard label that makes that really clear to consumers. It's, to me, a very clear and sort of sensible solution to this challenge that we're facing. So why do we even have labels if most of them aren't indicating a safety risk? What's happening there? Part of that was really, if you think about this history of starting in the 1950s, like less and less people are farmers. People are more used to going to the grocery store to buy things, getting further away from where their food really comes from. And they started saying, well, how do I know if it's fresh? How do I know which milk to drink first or which, I don't know, canned good has been in my cabinet for longer? So it was really demand from consumers that led to this. In the 1970s, we start seeing companies really putting date labels on food products. And early on in the 70s, surveys of consumers really found that consumers understood the labels to be about freshness and quality and not about safety. But of course, like with so many things, years passed by and now the average consumer looks at that date and thinks that it's an indicator of safety. 
So I think we've seen a lot of uncertainty in the food system that's led to a lot of excess waste of food, which kind of brings up another issue that I work a lot on, which is at all these times when there is surplus food, what are the barriers to getting that to be donated? Up next, Emily Broadlieb explains why many laws and regulations inadvertently lead to more food waste and how that connects to world hunger. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com. We do know hunger is such a huge problem, both here in the United States and around the world. The USDA estimates 1 in 10 American families, nearly 14 million households, are experiencing some form of food insecurity. And it seems like a simple solution, we take all this excess food and redistribute it to those who are hungry. Why isn't it that easy? Is some part of the process breaking down, or is there just not enough food for everyone? If we were able to redistribute all the safe food that we have that right now gets thrown away, we could more than feed every single American who is food insecure right now. Redistributing just a third of the food that is wasted right now would feed all the food insecure Americans. That is not to say that all of the food that's wasted is safe and edible. So I think that, you know, the most important thing is that food that's donated shouldn't be worse quality or, or unsafe. But there's a whole bunch of barriers that get in the way of donating food. One of the most interesting things that I'm working on right now is we're doing a project where we're comparing the laws across more than 20 different countries on food donation to try to pick out what countries are doing the best, what are the best practices, and what are the shared barriers. The contexts are different, the types of food that are wasted and the reasons are really different, but the same key barriers have kind of come to the forefront in all of those countries. One big one that I think is a struggle here in the U.S. is that often the food safety agencies don't see it as their job to make sure that safe food is donated, so they just don't make it easy. If you're a food business and you can't get a really quick or clear answer about whether or not something that you have can be donated, it's easier to throw it away. It's not that costly to throw it away. So one of the innovations we've really seen is policies around the U.S. and also around the globe that are either increasing the fee to throw food away or banning food from the landfill or requiring donation of edible food. Like incentivizing people to kind of navigate that bureaucracy? Yeah. The U.S. actually among peer countries is fairly strong on tax incentives for food donation, but they work really well for big companies and they don't work well for like smaller businesses or farmers or things like that. None of it is, is insurmountable, but we need to really like change the incentives and make it the smarter thing to do, the easier thing to do, the more cost-effective thing to do to take food that is safe and edible and delicious and get it to people who need it. Something I'm wondering about, because you've hinted toward this with saying, you know, labels aren't necessarily based in safety and our regulations are really variable and not controlled by any one entity. I mean, what role should science be playing in all of this? For instance, are we at the point where high-yielding crops shouldn't be the goal anymore? We do a lot of work on the U.S. Farm Bill and the subsidy system. And when you look at the where we put the bulk of our money for crops, it's actually going towards crops that support 
processed food and animal feed, we're telling people half of your plate should be fruits and vegetables, and we are not nearly putting half of our money towards fruits and vegetables. So I think that is a pretty big concern, is the fact that our guidance on healthy foods and on diet is really not aligned with where we're actually spending money. That said, one of the challenges is actually we do waste a fair amount of fruits and vegetables that we produce. Like, I don't think that the high-yielding crops are necessarily the crops where we see the most waste. If we in the U.S. really wanted to take the next steps to really manage and, and handle the food that we're wasting, we would probably want to be really thinking kind of crop by crop and product by product. Interestingly, the U.S. in 2015, we announced a national goal to reduce food waste by 50% by 2030. And we've taken some steps towards getting there. There's been a cross-agency effort at the federal government level with the Department of Agriculture, the Environmental Protection Agency, and the Food and Drug Administration. But these questions of like getting into the nitty-gritty of how much waste is there among each of our crops and products and how do we go backwards and re-engineer what we're supporting, we have not yet gone that far. And I think that's kind of where we need to go. And you've mentioned that climate change is an impact of food waste. The two can go hand in hand. But it doesn't seem like people always make that connection. Why do you think that is? One thing that's been really interesting is actually just educating consumers about food waste has a really big impact on them reducing their waste. So what we've seen in other countries that have just done a national campaign on food waste is that they've actually like really moved the needle on people wasting less. Unfortunately, I think the climate message isn't what does it. It's really the wallet. You know, you are wasting food and therefore you're wasting money. Did you know that you could be wasting $1,500 a year in your household just because you're throwing away food that is safe and edible? People really think about health and they think about finance, uh, you know, in their own personal household decisions. And less consumers make decisions based on climate and environment. And and if we could, you know, shift people, more people to make those decisions and purchase things in that way, it would have a really beneficial climate impact in a lot of ways. Right. So take us five or 10 years into the future. What's the biggest thing you want to see changed in how we handle food in the U.S.? So when I think about five to 10 years from now, there shouldn't be any instances where large amounts of food are going to the landfill without it being a really big deal. Like, that should be news. That should be a headline news. You know, such and such company has thrown away, you know, however many tons of food. I actually do see that on the horizon. I do see that there's a lot of more push coming from state and local government to really hold companies accountable for throwing away food. So I think that's really a big thing. I think more broadly, there's a really big push to just being more conscious of everything that we're putting onto our plates. There's been a lot of talk in the last few years on like a planetary health diet, on um, more plant-based, less meat-based diets. I think that when you take the aggregate of what every single person is purchasing and eating, that has a really big impact on the planet. Consumers can really talk to their, the grocery stores they shop at, the restaurants they go to, and then any food service, if you go to a cafeteria at your work or things like that, the things that they're selling, the things that they're doing, they want to match what consumers are demanding. You know, and I've talked a lot about policy. We are all able to talk to policymakers and tell them this is something we care about too. So if we all are more attentive to what we're eating and think about the impact of those and then are thoughtful about not wasting food in our own households, that really can move the needle on where we need to be in terms of climate. Do you think we'll struggle less with food waste in the future? Or is there just too much that still needs to be changed? 
I am a um, a fairly optimistic person, which I think is like what brings joy to my work every day. Even when, you know, we talked about date labeling. Like I've been working on date labeling now for more than 10 years. It's a really long time. And you know, I see incremental progress. I see incremental changes. I think on the whole, I am optimistic that all signs point to more attention to this issue and more interest in it. It's not good for anyone when they waste food. It's not only having an environmental impact, but it's also impacting people's bottom line and their household budgets. I would like to see more investment of federal dollars in innovative solutions. Like I talked to someone who's making food products out of eggshells. We don't typically eat eggshells, but they do have a lot of like proteins and minerals and things like that. And, you know, there's really interesting work to be done in thinking about what are the ways to use all of these food items that we otherwise are wasting. And I think we're really behind, I would say, behind the ball on the investment needed to really make all of these things possible. So that's what I think is exciting is the seeds have been planted for all of these different opportunities. Um, I'm hoping to see them really mature in the next few years. Emily Broadleib, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. That was Emily Broadleib, a clinical professor of law and the faculty director and founder of the Harvard Law School Food Law and Policy Clinic. She's also the deputy director of the Harvard Law School Center for Health Law and Policy Innovation. How do you deal with food waste? Do you have any strategies that worked well? Tell us about it. Tweet us at WSJ Podcasts. The Future of Everything is a production of The Wall Street Journal. Stephanie Ilgenfritz is the editorial director of The Future of Everything. This episode was produced by me, Caitlin Nicholas. Our sound designer is Jessica Fenton. Our fact checker is Maddie Bender. Scott Salloway is our supervising producer. Kateri Yoakum is The Wall Street Journal's executive producer of audio. Thanks for listening. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.